Well, hello, everybody, and welcome once again to Wednesday Night Live. This is Ron Crawford coming to you from the Father's Church in Dallas, Texas. And what a great privilege it is to be able to connect with our saints' family across the world, as well as our base of uh, this encampment of the saints here at the Father's Church in Dallas. Welcome, everyone. I encourage you to have your Bible at the ready. Uh, we're going to study today together, and we're going to put in action today what uh, we used to always call the Wednesday service, the prayer and Bible study. I trust you've been praying throughout the day, but we're going to study the Word today. Um, so have that ready. Uh, I'm looking forward to what God is going to say to us in just a couple of minutes. But before that, I want to make an announcement for our congregation here in Dallas. Uh, this coming Sunday, after the morning service, we'll have uh, some type of a, of a gathering. Um, it won't be long. It's not a meal. Uh, so um, just keep it in your keep it in your thoughts. Uh, we uh, will have we'll have an email coming out by the end of the week to further give you some details. But just note that that's going to happen. We need to have a time of fellowship. We're not having a Christmas party this year. I just didn't feel that we we should this year. I don't know why. We've done it for years. But this will be um, a time of fellowship and, and, and a time to share our love for each other in the Lord. So um, watch for an email, Father's Church congregation, and we will uh, we'll plan for that this week. And just again, uh, for all of you, on Christmas Day and New Year's Day, we will have one service, no Wisdom Seekers class, one service, and that begins at 11 o'clock on both of those holidays. And for the Father's Church family, we will have a candlelight service on Christmas Eve, Saturday, at 530. Um, I don't know whether we're going to live stream, but next week we'll tell you one way or another the challenge with live streaming that is that it's i don't know whether we'll have the, the crew especially with christmas being on a weekend uh, you know you have to have people to run this technical equipment it's not just flicking the lights on and flicking on the mic microphone um so we're working that out and then also the nature of the service is it's really not a teaching. The lights aren't real bright. You, you purposely want it more, uh, more at home, so we don't want to have a beacon of light that's needed at night for cameras. You know, when you when you do broadcasts with with cameras in the day, you're helped by light through the stained glass windows. At night, you need to generate much more lighting. Uh, from uh, from man-made sources. And uh, it just kind of ruins the ambiance of what you're trying to achieve on that special celebration. All that being said, we'll let you know. It's, it's a week away. I don't think anybody's planning right now. Well, gee, what will I do on Christmas Eve? Will it be live stream? Won't it be? Why don't you just tell me the movie you want to see? Um, so uh, that's it. Okay, this past Sunday... 
we looked at uh, what I felt was a very, a very wonderful insight into what James proclaimed in, in James chapter 1 about the gifts that the Father gives and how those gifts take us from uh, an atmosphere of his goodness into a point of his um, partnership. And this is, this is something that we really, we really need to see, as is the case so often with the scriptures. As I said on Sunday, like if you quoted that verse, we'd say every good and perfect gift. Well, it's not what it says. Every good gift and every perfect gift. And every one of those words is different. But you just kind of take scripture and put them into a, a big pot and make your own interpretation. And that, that limits us. So we studied about that. And you can hear that on archive. But then if you come to James 1.18, and this is going to be a launch point for us. Uh, this scripture says, of God the Father, speaking about the Father all the way through here. So his, in this verse, means the Father. Of his own will, he birthed us through the logos of, of something that had been hidden, but then he was revealing the word of truth. This is very similar if you want to look at the first few verses of the, the Gospel of John, where it talks about uh, the Word and Jesus being the Word and how that he came as the Word. He was God, he was with God, and he represented God, but the Word then came. And the reason Jesus came was that he created all things, but he, he came to make the only sacrifice that could be made, the second Adam, the only way that we could enter in to relationship with the Father and the Father's will from the foundation of the world was for Jesus to live life as a son of the Most High fully man, but yet fully God, to suffer things for us, to, uh, to be in all points tempted like as we were, and to triumph in a sinless way. It really is a magnificent uh, thought, and it's so dynamic in all of its extremes. But as I was raised, we were taught, and this is true, that Jesus gave himself so that our sins could be forgiven and we would have a home in heaven. That's true. That's true. It's the only way to be redeemed. But he came to do that necessary point of beginnings so that we might then know the Father and function as sons. And this is the great Disjoint. This is the great point of failure uh, in Christendom because, again, the, the terminology of <clears throat> children and sons and heirs and joint heirs, the church will tell you that we have all of that when we're born again. 
That's just not true. I don't care who said it. I don't care how many times it's quoted. We have the potential of that. That is the plan of God for us. But why would the word of God in more than one place speak about being a child and then becoming a man, being a child and then being an heir and then being a joint heir, if there, if there was not some point of development that was necessary. So the father here in James 1, he it was his will from the foundation of the world that we function as partners, as sons. And he born us, caused us to be born through the Logos, his eternal plan that once was hidden but was revealed. And there were many places where this happened. The first was, obviously, there was a time where after God created the angelic and set things in motion because the angels were made to serve God, but to minister on behalf of the heirs of salvation. The scripture says that. So there was a time after that that God revealed his plan for man. And Jesus said that uh, from that Satan was a man killer from the beginning from the beginning, from the time that God initiated this desire, according to his will, for you and me to be made in his image, Satan wanted to kill it. And so, you know, you can look at how the plan was deterred by enemy advance, and then it was revealed again, and then it it, uh, it seemed like it was lost, and then it was revealed again, and then Jesus came, and it was revealed, and then the, you went through uh, the Dark Ages and the Middle Ages, and it was hidden, and then it was revealed again. And, you know, in our day, even now, when I'm talking about these things, there are many in the church who would say that is not what the Bible is. The progressives don't believe it at all. Um, Even in Pentecostal churches, these are concepts that um, in in tacitly they would agree with, but the practicality of it, no way, this is not right. And so the, the whole idea of being a son has a battleground of truth emerging from a point of being covered over or occluded or or people being blinded in by the god of this world um and um, then it has to be revealed and shown forth it's it's it is really a battlefield of truth and it's the word of truth but we we were born into sonship to grow into this, but the word of truth is kind of strange to say it that way. You would think that the Logos would just, since it always exists, would not have a process of revelation or not have a battle for it to show. Even John said, you know, the word became flesh 
and the light came and the darkness could not overwhelm it. The, the darkness could not stop his mission, but it's been doing its best or its worst to, to hide the light. If our gospel be hid, there's that word, is hid to those whom the God of this world has blinded the minds, lest they know the glorious gospel. So this measure of sonship is, is fought for on the battlefield of truth. And you're always dealing with the eternal way of it's this is hidden, but now it's got to be revealed. And I I'm grateful that we as saints have been entrusted to demonstrate this and um the identity of sonship itself is is perhaps the main field of battle that we face. What does it mean to be a son? How do we serve the Father as a son? Uh, what is God using his sons to do right now? What do we need to intercede for? And then you add to it the, the concept, the biblical ideal of being a saint. It's, it's a battleground, first of all, to pioneer these things, to set a stake in the ground and say, I'm going to be this because this is what the Father wants. It's a remnant. It's, it's that seed of faith. And the idea of sons is something that Satan hated from the beginning. It, to, to my understanding, it's what, what he allowed to influence him to rebel. And that's still his, his main uh, point of uh, detestation that he wants to attack and eliminate. So I think even the gender blurring and the, um, the, the, the discrediting, the attempts to discredit the word of God and to discredit the, the sacrifice of Jesus and to to discredit uh, the idea that we will give an account at the end of this life for what we've done in the body. Um, all of those things are part of the human condition, and the enemy, if he can, he's trying his best to eliminate all of those factors and then we went through the time where everybody has their own truth. What's your truth? Let's live your own truth. When we see that truth is the battlefield of the logos of God regarding sonship. So if you eliminate the battlefield or if you say there's no battle at all, and if you say that anybody who is battling for this is a any number of heinous things from racists to misogynists to phobes of any kind of sort and we detest Christians you really see the way that uh, the theater of operation is described in the scripture for the end times is being populated right in front of us so the battlefield of truth but what's the agenda here that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures, of all of his creation. 
you and I are first fruits of this walk of receiving the gifts of the Father and becoming what he ordained from the foundation of the world. We're first fruits of that. Now, we studied about the concept of first fruits in the Old Testament. Just a thumbnail defining of it is that it was an offering that was the best, the first, and the best of whatever you had. This was also used in the Greek culture to describe people that rose above and became exemplary examples of this thing or that thing, whether it was in warfare or in finance or in some type of musical talent or some poetic skill. The first fruits individual was somebody that really indicated the the apex of what that particular field of service or creativity or or uh, dynamism was so in this context in James 1 you see the father as the operative representation of the divine you see gifts that entail our appreciating what he's doing and then partnering with him in it as a sacrifice to accomplish what he wants. And um, and then you see that the agenda is aimed at honoring what God birthed through the Logos in this field of truth. And he wants us who are really... It's a twofold thing. He needs people to break through out of the hidden and be a first fruits demonstration in service and as an example of what sonship should be for all of his creatures, uh, for all of his creation. The angels need to see this. They want to look into desperately what God is doing through his sons. Creation groans and travails even now waiting for the manifestation of what? Another sermon? Another megachurch? No, the manifestation of the sons of God. So we are a first fruits. We've got to give our best, but we ourselves must be the best that we can be, representing what God's ideal is for sonship that he that he begat through the word of truth Jesus was also according to the Bible described as an apostle he was presenting and teaching portraying something that the father was releasing from his throne that had never been done before. But Jesus was also the firstborn of many brethren. He was a firstfruits of this wonderful gift from God. But the Bible also says that the Spirit of God is a firstfruits. So you have the Father giving this 
plan as a first fruits. Yes, we have to fulfill it, but the whole context of that is that this came from the Father. You have Jesus demonstrating, portraying, sacrificing as a first fruits. And in Romans chapter 8, you have the Spirit as a first fruits. And we're going to read together from verses 18 through 30, and we're going to talk about the Spirit in this way. We're going to talk about how the Spirit groans and why the Spirit groans within us. We're going to talk about the redemption of our body. So you might want to be at the ready to study and learn a bit, okay? Learn a bit. Because most people think of Romans chapter 8, and it is it is a, a vein of gold. All things work together for good. We're going to read that one. We like that verse. Uh, there's no condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus. That's a good verse. In verse 1. Um, you can talk to people that have been born again. Well, I, a preacher said that all of my sins is washed away. And I stand clean. Remember Delmar O'Donnell. I don't, I don't know who you're talking about. Um, and uh, George Clooney says, well, that doesn't hold much weight with the, with the state. <laughs> and he said, all of my sins washed away. Even that piggly wiggly I knocked over in Yazoo City. We like to quote that verse, but somehow the, the things that we don't understand, we just say them quick and move fast. We're going to clarify some things through the power of the Spirit today. So let's just read. We're not going to read the whole chapter, but verse 18. For I reckon, he must have been a Southerner, that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. This is an ongoing revelation. Pardonnez-moi. For the earnest expectation of creation waits for the manifestation, the showing forth of the sons of God. For creation was made subject to vanity, not willingly, by reason of him who hath subjected the same in hope. We've taught on that in the past. That's not germane to what we're talking about today. Because the creature itself will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. Whatever we do as sons is going to and is now impacting creation. For we know that the whole creation groans and travails in pain together until now. And not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit. Even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting for the adoption, to wit, the redemption of our body. Let's, let's read through 26 and then we'll come back. For we are saved by hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. For what a man sees, why does he yet hope for? 
If we hope for that which we see not, then do we with patience wait for it. Likewise, the Spirit, the Spirit, now note that in verse 23, we ourselves groan. Now it says, in a similar way, the Spirit also helps our asthenas, for we know not what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. All right. The first fruits of the Spirit. It's not by might or by power, but by the Spirit, says the Lord. Here we have the Spirit of God functioning in a first fruits way. And you have the Spirit himself groaning. And in addition, you have us groaning. Now, so many times as preachers preach the word, there is a focusing on the end result and not on the process that's required for the end result. We like to preach in churches to people wanting to make them shout, not necessarily think, wanting to give them in three points some solution, some immediacy of provision. And we don't, we lose the crowd if you talk about the necessary factors that are right there in the word uh, that are are required of us in order to get to the solution. So that's why the church is always talking about solutions and not really talking about how to gain those points of victory. Now, I'm not going to spend much time on this, even though this is important for us to understand. When we became born again, Jesus did it all for us, but we have to accept him. We have to ask for him to cleanse us of sins, and then we need to make a commitment that we're going to live for him. So even that gift, which is free, requires us to do something. It's, it's not, oh, I walked up the aisle, shook the preacher's hand, I'm in forever. I, I, no matter what I do, I don't have to do anything. I'm going to walk the streets of gold. And that's what a lot of evangelical churches believe. And it's sad, really. You know, many, many years ago, when I first came to Dallas, you know, Debbie and I didn't make any money at all, really. I mean, it was, it, you know, I look back on it, and for many years, what we were both paid was ridiculous. And so, uh, I I knew that I needed to learn my job here was to serve, but to learn how to be a pastor. And so, I'll make this a quick story because we got a lot to talk about today. 
I, I was involved with all the aspects of church ministry. And because I could sing, I was often asked to sing at funerals. And, you know, if you sang at a funeral, I don't know what it is now, but here in Dallas, you'd, you'd get usually $100, which was like gold for us as a young married couple who weren't making any money. And so one time I was talking to the funeral directors over at Sparkman Hillcrest up by um, North Park Mall. Very expensive. That's the, that's the, the apex of, of uh, as Kelly said when she was a little girl, grave gardens here in Dallas. So I was talking to the funeral director and he said, you know what? Um, really appreciate you being able to come and, and minister in song, but you're also a pastor. Have you ever thought about conducting funerals? He said, we have a lot of people who come here who have no pastor, and they, they're Christian, and we, we don't have anybody to direct them to. Would you be willing to come and do it? And you can minister, but, you know, it also pays this. And it was like, twice what just singing was and I said sure I said I may not be able to do it all the time because I'm responsible at the church I cleared it through my pastor at the time and you know I didn't say you're not paying me enough I need to make some extra bucks it was ministry it was advertisement for the church it was reaching out to the community we did gain some people at our congregation from doing that but my point is is that one time I was called to do a funeral of a, of a lady that was in her 90s. She obviously was a precious woman of God, but she, uh, none of her family was serving God. None of her kids, none of her grandkids. It was one of those setups where, you know, if anybody had a problem, they'd just go to granny, and she'd pray them through she was the rock of the thing and none of the rest of them had any real concept of what it meant to be a christian so i show up for this funeral and um i knew the person that was going to be providing the music because they had played for me on a number of times and uh, I met with them briefly, and then I went outside to try to talk to some of the family because I hadn't met any of them. And there were young people, old people, just out there weeping and crying. It was morning. You'd have thought you'd stepped into one of the gospel uh, messages where Jesus came and the professional mourners were there, but these people weren't paid. They were just beside themselves. And I knew I was among the smoking Baptists because there was a cloud. It wasn't the glory of God. It was Marlboro's. And it was all through there. And so I went and I found this woman's son. And he told me how much he appreciated me being there. And I, I asked him all the things I needed to ask him. Is there anything you want to say? Anything one of the family wants to say? Is there any story you'd like me to tell? Any scripture you want me to read? You really have to be... Uh, on call there and be ready for anything. It was a good experience for me, but it was also ministry. He said, no, no, pastor, whatever you feel led to do is fine. 
And his wife was beside herself, just weeping. And one of their daughters came up and says, I don't know what we're going to do. Granny's gone. Who will we turn to? And they were just lost. So I thought, well, right here is giving me my message. And so I went back in there and I talked about this woman who was obviously a woman of God. Her old tattered Bible was on, laying there on the, on the casket. And I walked down to the front, got that Bible, took it up, and I said, look at this. And I was serious. These pages, how many times have those fingers, while she had life in them, turned these pages? And I, I started reading some of the scriptures that she had underlined. And I said, I wonder why she underlined that. I wonder why she underlined that. And I went through the whole business about how that this woman obviously had lived for God. And, and I talked about how all of them turned to her. And then I said, it's time for all of us in this place. It's our turn. And I thought, it's long since been your turn. Somebody's going to have to take this Bible. Many of you need to take this Bible. And you need to be representing the kingdom of God here to honor the faith of this woman. I know that she's with the Lord right now, and I had no doubt she was. And you know what the Bible says, that the Lord prays for you, that you might fulfill the will of the Father. I'm sure that this woman is, is enjoying the fruits of the sacrifice of Jesus, but they're praying for you right now. What will you do? It was a good old Baptist sermon, but... I saw lots of times like that where people just, I don't know what they think it means to be a Christian. Is it just a club? So you talk about sonship being hidden. If I talked about pneumatikos concepts at that point, which I really didn't know many of them, it would have been, it would have been like I was speaking Greek backwards. I'm not mocking those people. I don't know where any of them are. You don't know any of them. But I'm testifying to a faith of a godly woman who, for whatever reason, none of her family, at least that I met, had any inkling of what to do in standing in the gap before the Lord. And I hope that many of them are living for the Lord. In a, in a deeper way. But this whole idea of being, representing the kingdom is, <laughs> is hidden to much of the church. And they're godly people. They're loving people. I'm not ridiculing them. What I'm saying is, are we really demonstrating the first fruits of the Spirit. So, creation itself is waiting for the manifestation of the sons of God. The Spirit of God here is a first fruits. But let's talk about what it means to groan. And as is so often the case, as I just said a few minutes ago, we take these terms and we look at the end result instead of what it really means in the process. 
groaning here is not oh, like lurch. The, the root of this word is stenos, which means to, um, to be narrow. And that word stenos is used in just a few places in, in the New Testament. One of my favorites is in Matthew chapter 7, and I'm going to read that for you. You can look there. You can trace this word out yourself. Uh, verses 13 and 14. Uh, Enter in at the straight gate. That's this word. Wide is the gate, broad is the way that leads to destruction. Many there be that go in thereat. But because straight is the gate and narrow is the way. Flipsis is that it's crowded upon, narrow, which leads into life. And few, oligos, there be that find it. So, this is the root of groaning. It, it implies very strongly that the reason you would be groaning is that you are pressing through the narrow gate. And it's crowded upon. There are pressures on every side trying to keep that thing closed but you've got to exert yourself to press through. And few oligarchs, we talked about this. We hear a lot about the Russian oligarchs. Somehow they made it to the top of society and they have influence and authority and power. Here is the root of that. And the Greek Orthodox took the Greek language and it became the, acrylic, the base of the acrylic uh, alphabet and languages of Russia. If you go to Russia, you see a lot of words that are written very similar to Greek language. So, But this few is not a negative here. It's speaking about what you have to do to pay the price to get to that elevated state. Does that make sense? So you may make a noise, groaning, but the point of your groaning in that way, the the meaning of the word itself is the objective. So we might talk about this from making a noise, but the essence of it is to press something through a narrow gate. Now, some of you are already ahead of this. What's the root of stenos? Histeme, which... Jesus paid the price for at the cross. What God intended from the foundation of the world. When this world was created, the deposits of the glory and the histemi are very similar. Waiting for people to partner with God, to partner with him in his glory. Which is why back in Romans 8, it begins what we started reading about. Um, the sufferings of this present time not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. So he talks about the glory. He talks about the first fruits. He talks about the Spirit wanting these gates to be open. The, upon this rock I'll build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail. 
the histeme that Jesus gave himself on the cross as a payment so that we could take up our cross, go to the place the Father directs, and, and see this happen. Groaning of the Spirit and the groaning of us, yes, it's in intercession, but the onus of the word's definition is not upon sound, it's upon objective. Does that make sense? You take, you extrapolate out. When Jesus was at uh, Lazarus' tomb and in other places, it says that he groaned in spirit. Why was he groaning? Irritated? Well, obviously, that had to have been the case. Oh, you say the Lord was irritated? Read the Bible sometime. Take off your, your glasses that shield you from what the Scripture's really saying. Jesus had to be irritated at some time. He wouldn't have overturned tables in the temple. He wouldn't have rebuked his disciples because of their unbelief. <laughs> if he was not irritated. So the groan in spirit was about something for him that God was wanting to demonstrate at this point that the people were not seeing. And the spirit within was expressing this. That is amazing to me. So, we come back then to Romans 8. Creation is waiting. Um, the expectation of creation. The sons have to manifest. The glory is awaiting. Sufferings are there. Um, the, the, the creature, creation itself is going to be delivered from the bondage of the, the corruption that has held it back into the liberty that is glorious that the children of God are going to bring forth. So all of creation is groaning and travailing in pain together now. Why? Because what it was initially created to do has been held back. The pressure point of that narrow way leading as a gate to the histeme. And so the Spirit is interceding. He is a first fruits of this. Each one, in one way, partnering with us is a demonstration of first fruits. In another way, what we are called to offer has to be the best of the best that we can give. And in another way, what is revealed in the timing according to the will of God, is a first-fruits demonstration. It's no wonder that the church was born at Pentecost or the Feast of First-fruits. This is a wonderful thing. So groaning is, is not, oh, even though it may sound that way, you know, sounds themselves can be deceptive. You know, <laughs> I, I, I learned when my children were little, and I've told this before, the difference in their cries. And I knew there was one cry that if I heard my daughter, my oldest daughter crying, she was in trouble. But just crying didn't mean it. It, it, it 
it didn't really indicate that there was a problem. So groaning itself doesn't indicate anything. I, I, I've, as pastor a long time, I've heard people groan and complain about things, and I think, just grow up. Have you ever heard somebody like that? Stop complaining. I mean, that's not doing anybody any good. Just stop. In fact, some of your complaints are damning you. So stop it. It's better to say nothing at all than to say what you're saying. The, the issue of groaning here is not complaint. It's not misery, even though there is an exertion. It, it doesn't necessarily mean that you're doing what you're supposed to do. But this word, its focus is on the histeme and the narrow way that God wants to bring forth a first fruits demonstration. So the Spirit is a first fruits. You are a first fruits. This thing God wants to do is a first fruits. And that's groaning is the avenue of travail and expression where things are pressing in on you, but you have to be determined to fulfill what God wants. You're not going to do it by giving it the old college try. You're not going to do it by testing it and say, well, I guess it wasn't what God wanted. You've got to give the first fruits offering because that's the only way you're going to partner with the Spirit. Make sense? What about the redemption of the body? That's an interesting term. Why is this here? People read that and they think, oh, bless God, I'm redeemed. I'm redeemed. Verse 23 talks, talks about the redemption of the body. It's right in line there with uh, the first fruits of the Spirit. We ourselves groan, waiting for the adoption to wit. I like that. If you're British, you'd say, wit, wit. Would that it were so simple. The, the redemption of the body. What does that mean? Well, redemption there is the Greek word lutron. And luo is loosed, set free, saved, healed, delivered. In essence, it is the, the objective of bringing about solution. Okay, that's, so that's the root of redemption. That's, that's, the, um, that's the objective. Tron is a word that is uh, an agent of luo, and it just means the price you have to pay to bring about the objective. So this is done in this physical body, this temple of the Holy Ghost, this tabernacle that we dwell in. This is, this is, this is done here. So what is it that's done here? Well, we have, a, we have a divine objective of bringing about some point of deliverance, some point of healing, some point of breakthrough. And our body has to pay the price for that breakthrough to occur. So, redemption sounds like 
Yeah, look what we've got. And you can just boil it down to the dumbest of terms and just make it about being born again. But nothing in this nothing in this here is talking about the beginnings of your walk in God. There is nothing in from verse 18. Look at it yourself. We just read it. That speaks about the, the baby Christian. You're talking about sons. You're talking about uh, what we just spoke about with groaning in spirit and being of first fruits. You're talking about uh, hope. Hope's another thing. We've studied about hope. Most people think it's the, you know, as I've said, uh, the ugly cousin of faith. Hope, we're saved by hope. That's taking something that God, that seed of faith in you through commune with him and believing all the way through to fruition what God says. Um, faith, hope, and agape. Um it, it's it's not an ending. It's not wishful thinking. It's the process. See, we don't, in Christianity, so often we don't look at these words for the process they indicate. And so we think we've got easy fixes. Let's preach this real fast and get people shouting and clapping and leave and say, man, that that charged me up. But did it teach you anything? Did it give you anything lasting? Did it put you in a position where you can partner with God to see the kingdom come? Probably not. So we pay the price for this victory in this body, and there is a price to pay. It's not of works, lest any man boast. That's James 1. But we're partnering with God we're a first fruits. The Spirit is a first fruits. The Father's plan is a first fruits. Christ is a first fruits. Giving all of that is giving your best continuously. So, what are we feeling right now? What we there is a battle for truth in the gates. Sonship is of the essence. The battle lines are being drawn. Christians are being divided from the goats. It's happening in churches all across this country. Wake up and see it. Yesterday, the big celebration in Washington, D.C., where they had our White House arrayed in a rainbow color. That was all for show. It just was. To placate the progressives. None of the things they set yesterday were at jeopardy. The Supreme Court had already voted on that. It was all set. And none of us Bible thumpers were going to take it away. How would we? Even if we, we really set our minds to it. It would never have done. That was all progressive ideology. And I, I think they had to go over to Arlington Cemetery or up into Illinois to to be careful when all of that was happening. I'm sure that Lincoln was spinning in his grave in, in Springfield. And, um, you know, it, it, just, it just was amazing to me when all across this nation, we are 
we're being indoctrinated for the end times. There are pressures crowding in, narrow, on this stenos gate leading to the esteme that we represent. And we are groaning within ourselves. We are paying the price within this temple, aren't we? We're living this. And it, it's not simple. Verse 24, we're saved by hope. Hope that is seen is not hope. Whatever a man sees, why does he yet hope for? If we hope for that which we see not, then do we with patience wait for it? So the Spirit helps us in these infirmities, things that are there that have a body that aren't functioning, both in ourselves and, um, and in the world. And here the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings that cannot be uttered. Now, we've explained this. Oh, it's unintelligible. It can't be, it can't be verbalized. I want to take it a step further while that is true. If you can't utter it, that could mean that you can't put it into words. You need diversities, languages. But it also means in what we've been saying that maybe there's no expression at all. The groanings are, are happening by the influence of the Spirit. And God's Spirit is, is doing things that are coming against this narrow place to open it up. It may be silent, but yet it's there. You know, I remember not long ago, thank God he set me free, but I remember laying in an emergency room and I was in pain and in great discomfort. And I wasn't saying anything. I wasn't making a sound. Boy, I felt like it, but what good would it have done? Within me, though, there was a lot, a lot of exasperation. He said, you can groan without making a sound. He that searches the hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because he makes intercession with and for the saints according to the will of God. We know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are called according to his purpose. Boy, we've quoted that, but in this context, what is his purpose? Well, they've just been talking about it. Well, let me tell you, brother and sister, what the purpose of God is. He wants you to be happy. He wants you to have all the things that your heart has ever desired. What's his purpose? Well, stay in the context. What have we been reading here? Who he did foreknow, he predestinated to be conformed to the image that his son depicted, who was the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called. Whom he called, them he justified. Whom he justified, then he glorified. What shall we say then to these things? If God before us, who can be against us? He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? How's he given us all things? Through this partnership. Wow. 
Well, we're out of time. Your first fruits, my dear friends. This is the battle line that we're in. Groanings, the few that find it, narrow is the gate, creation is waiting, we're partnering in hope, the glory of God, the sons need to manifest, and all things are going to work together for good to them that love God. You have to love God to do this. You, you've got to be moving in his agape to do this, don't you? I mean, it's, it's, just, it's just there. Oh, I love the Lord. The first thing that happens that goes right, I just don't understand why God's doing this to me. Do you really love the Lord? This is the agape. We're called to his purpose. You and I are, and what special days we live in. So this is part of the Father's gift to us. Christmas Day. What a privilege. We're winning. I think we don't really fully grasp what's at stake. You feel things, you sense pressures, you sense burdens. It could be the groaning of the Spirit. Oh, I thought the Spirit only came as a dove, and oh, I felt him. Wonderful, wonderful. What if the Spirit comes into the room and he's groaning? If he's pressing against the darkness, how's, what's that feel like? How's that feel? Spirit of the Lord, when you walked into the room, oh, you're groaning. <laughs> Oh, my goodness. Aren't you glad you tuned in today? Thanks for joining. May God bless all of you. Study this out and be encouraged. This is what you're living right now. So know it and embrace it because it is the work of the Lord. We're praying for you. God bless you. Until uh, next time, keep on being the sons that God created you to be from the foundation of the world. Partner with the Father, partner with the Son, partner with the Holy Ghost as firstfruits. God bless you all. Goodbye.